on a one to 10 relative to our other guests, how, how prepared are you for Royce? Oh, I've been looking forward to talking to Royce. Oh, you think I should? Hi, Royce. Hey, guys. How are you? That you were avoiding answering the question. Let me see. If I if I ask you on a one to ten how prepared you are, and then you say I'm looking forward to talking to him, what does that mean, Brian? Does that mean like you're really prepared, or like? Yeah, you could you, you know you could sit back for a little while on this one. I think. <laughs> oh man, I regret asking you now. Regret asking you just got into my head. No, you know, I'll always follow your lead. You're supposed to say, I'm here to support you, Savon. Of course. Hi, Royce. Hey, how are you guys? Good. Thanks for doing this. What time is it where you're at? Uh, it's 8 a.m. <clears throat> oh, thanks. We are, and it's 8 a.m. on what day? Thursday. Thursday. So it's 3 p.m. here on Wednesday, Wednesday, and I think it's 5 o'clock. Where you're at, Brian? Correct. Are you are you near Melbourne? Where are you? What city are you in? So I'm in Brisbane, which is okay. uh, pretty much on the center of the uh, East Coast. So okay. Melbourne is like a three to four hour flight from here, or like a, a two day drive, like twenty hours, eighteen hours. Are you allowed out of your house more than two hours a day? <clears throat> yeah. So Brisbane is where like open for business. There's um. Like we do like a check-in on an app when you go to like a restaurant or something. And um, there are, there's like, like yeah, every business needs to have a COVID safe plan. But like we had, um, we had our semi-final here and we were allowed to have a, a full capacity stadium. We've got football games on with full stadiums. Like just, you, can, you can travel as far as you want. It's all good. Amazing. Well, good for you. Um, do, were you ever locked down for, were you ever told that like you could only come out of your house two hours a day? In, in the city you're in? Yeah, in the middle of um, in the, like the middle of 2020, it was like the when the whole world was in lockdown, we were we were locked down as well, um, and it wasn't it wasn't too bad. We got out of that lockdown pretty quick, and um, our our state has been doing pretty well. Like Melbourne, uh, Victoria, the state that Melbourne's in, they just like relocked down this week. They're supposed to get out of lockdown on Saturday. They've been locking down like it feels like once a month. They've been doing a snap lockdown because they just keep getting clusters and not knowing where they're coming from. And yeah, the government's got you know, a little bit of a couple of problems down there, I think. Um, do people actually obey the lockdown? In, well, they're very used to it in Melbourne. So I think they, they have been, and it's pretty steep fines if you're, if you're busted. To my knowledge, I don't think anyone's been fined. It's more just the threat of it. Um, but yeah, everyone was pretty compliant here in, in our state as well. No one was really mucking around too much. Yeah, well, in the city I'm in, no, I don't. Well, I guess some people did because there was no traffic, but I just ignored all that shit. I just rolled. <laughs> I just didn't. It just like I just rolled. I got I got stuff to do. I have parks and beaches to go to, and yeah, dogs I mean, to walk, and fresh that's air the whole to point breathe. Of America, and, right? That's the whole point of America. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should come here and run for president. <laughs> yeah, well, so it's a little different here because because um, you know we're we're technically not a republic. We're well, we're not a republic at all. We're um, still a still a colony, and so it's not um, the, the freedom doesn't. It's not quite the same, you know. Like there's no uh, there's no freedom of speech, and um, you know when if we can't go somewhere, we we can't go somewhere. We, we can't really um, pull the old constitution argument because it's not not how it works here. So 
Um, but as a smaller country, it's just in general a bit tamer anyway, so it wasn't too bad. You're a huge country. I don't think people realize how big you are with a, with a relatively small population. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So Australia is, um, is, is roughly 92, 93% the size of the U.S., so it's almost identical to the U.S., but uh, the population, I think, is maybe 25 mil max, so about the same as California. How yeah. much of how much and, of the country is uninhabitable, really? Um, it depends who you ask. Like um, the the native the native Australians, the Aborigines, like inhabit all through like everywhere. You name it, there, there's been someone living there. So, um, but settlement wise, like you know, white Australia tends to be pretty much on the coasts. There's there's not a lot going on in the middle. It'd be mostly like um, it'd be mostly like farmland and that kind of thing and um there's a lot of like similar i guess in, to america with the like reservations there's a lot of um land that's been given back to the aboriginals it's like their their territory and um they they can kind of do whatever they want with it and kind of keep keep intruders out i guess for like a better word um so but they can't keep like coca-cola out but they can't keep coca-cola <laughs> out yeah you've seen the uh what's that movie where the um they dropped the bottle in africa uh, gods must be crazy oh yeah wow that movie was out before you were born holy cow yeah, what a yeah. what a deep breath and depth of cultural knowledge you have <laughs> brian we're sending people to mars they could pump the water in from their ocean they could pump in two trillion gallons of water if they wanted to the center of their country de- de- put it run it through a desalinization plant and have to make the world's biggest lake those are smart people in australia that whole place is inhabitable i mean that- i did with dubai like so, that was the same. Like there's that photo of Dubai in um, in one of the hotels where it's like 30 years ago it was literally a desert, and um, so there's plenty there's plenty of space on Earth for people, but you know it's not cost effective, so they they just keep overpopulating you know the 10 locations on Earth that are that are nice to live in and leave the rest of it untouched. Well, um, Brian, where did you have Royce ranked? What was your guess for um, – boy, I'm really putting you on the hot seat nonstop today. What was your <laughs> rank? What did you predict he would he would place in the semifinals at the Torium Pro in Australia? Prior prior to seeing the programming, I had him about fifth or sixth. After I saw the programming, I bumped him up to second. Oh, very honest. If I was you, I would have just said second. That was very honest. <laughs> yeah. of you. And, what did you, and what did you see in the programming that made you think that bumped him up? Well, I just I know that there are about half a dozen, maybe eight guys in Australia that on any given weekend could have taken those top three spots, or at least that's what I think there is the case. And so when I saw the programming coming out, I put those eight guys on a sheet of paper and I looked at all the workouts and I gave a plus or a minus or a zero if I thought the workout was favorable or not. And in the case of Royce, I had five pluses, one minus, and one neutral workout. And I just thought, this program is awesome for him. Um, I have some other like just intuitions based on following the guys on Instagram, but I just bumped him up. I said, uh, you know, and I, I don't always like to make the obvious picks. Like that was one of those picks where when I put it out there, a lot of people said, Oh no, I got Con Porter. I got Baden Brown. I don't think Dunn's going to make it, but I just, you know, kind of knowing his skill set and what he excels at, I thought that it could be a really good weekend for him. Mm-hmm. Obviously it was. So thank you, Royce, for, you know, making me look good. <laughs> And and being and being that you're half, um, you're a descendant of Leonard Nimoy. You didn't let emotion get in the way of your of your judgment. You you went based on his athletic performance and not your like me, your love for the past and 
historical characters. <laughs> it's you know it's it's very interesting. Recently, more and more people have messaged me on Instagram when I put out the rankings, and they'll say, "You're underrating this person. You're overrating that person." And I always respond, and I'll say, "Well, let me know. Like, what what are some things that you see? Because you know that probably I know the person." And a lot of times they're like, you know, I think he's good at this. I think he's good at this, but probably I'm just being emotional because I like the guy or know the guy. So I try to refrain from that. I do know some of the athletes better than others, but I always try to assess what I've seen from them when they have competed and what I know about their strengths and weaknesses. And then, like I said, reading like there's into Instagram is tough, but I think, and Royce, you can tell me what you think about this. I'm, I haven't really asked a lot of athletes about it, but I think that, um, you know, sometimes people who take a year or two away from competition, specifically individual competition that are still in the age range where they can be competitive and then come back to it. I know, Seven, you don't necessarily agree with this all the time, but that they can come back and, and do pretty well. And Royce wasn't necessarily taking time away from competing. He just focused more on team competition. Then obviously they had lockdown. I think he has a pretty good setup there at his house. I think he's following a pretty good program. And so I was expecting him to do well. And then obviously when I saw the programming, I thought he could do really well. So the question to you, Royce, is, and, and, and it's a good one. I've said that if people take time off from the sport, it's very difficult to come back. I believe that there's something in regards to the pain cave that once you leave it, you really, really don't want to go back. I don't think, I don't think, God, this, we, this is going to really... This is stupid to say again because I already fought with Matt once, put a rip on a relationship. I don't believe Matt can take a year off and come back and win it. But yours, there's a nuance or a different factor to you. What Brian is saying is you took a year off from individual, but you stayed in the game. You stayed in team competition. And um, how did that affect you? Yeah, I think, I think I'm probably inclined to agree with you, Savan. I think um, if you take a year off – not, not that it couldn't happen, but I think that would be like the hardest situation to come back to come back from, as you say. Like it's it's like you're a rookie again in, in a way, um, because even just you don't even know like what the lay of the land is as far as the athletes are. You know, from the last year, you haven't seen performances, and it's just you know you got to think. Well, I also guess it depends on why you took the time off, um, overcoming that particular obstacle and bring yourself, yeah, as you say, back into the cave. I think that's quite tough to do. Um, and I had a, I had a kind of a micro version of that myself, just, um, like, like coming from the team back to individual, it was like, I've forgotten what the pressure of individual is compared to team and a te team is, is for me, at least is mostly fun. Like, yes, you don't want to be the person who lets your team down. So you feel a pressure to, um, to, to, you know, be, to perform in the moment. But when you're actually just sitting there, like in those, in those stalls that to go out for an event. And you realize that, like, it's it's all of your own back, and um, you know, if you look dumb out there, it's your fault. That's that's pretty daunting. So that was that was hard to come back from, even just in that regard. But at least I, like, had been competing. Been competing. I knew um, you know what the athletes were like, and I knew what I could do at certain workouts. And so I, I still felt very much um, comfortable from that aspect. But mentally, um, yeah, that that pressure hit pretty hard what I thought I was used to, but it was, it was different, you know, like it was a, a harsh comeback, I suppose. And the exception to that might be women who take a, to take, well, and, and I say that because women who take a year off to have a baby, they seem to come back with some ferocity. Yeah, I was about to man. say, actually, there, there is a good, 
track record in CrossFit um, for the mums who come back like the next year, which is crazy because if, if I had even just like a minor abdominal injury that mimics um, but I feel like you'd need the whole next year just to like, um, you know, retrain. But, but I think that just goes back to what I was saying about why you have the year off. If there's something like that, that's, um, you know, obviously like it, it's without getting too deep into it. There's no, no one gets through a, 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 you know, a new child experience unscathed, like just physically, but also, you know, the stress of a new kid, um, even like your postpartum depression is far more common than people think. Like there's all kinds of battle scars you'll carry, but it's it's generally a positive experience. Obviously, like it's it's mostly something you want. And if it was accidental, you still obviously are grateful for the for the for the gift. And so you're you're having this mostly positive year, and you're also can't wait to get back because um, you you know if you could have a baby without having to be pregnant or take time off, who wouldn't want to wave their wand, right? So. It's um you are you are trying to get back and so you're kind of hungry. If your year off was because you're burning out, and you want a year off. Well, then you got to drag yourself back into it the next year, and so it's maybe you know a lot harder to to convert that that year back. But yeah, the the track record of, of the girls who come back from babies in this sport is pretty intense. I think it's almost a near perfect record. Um, ladies and gentlemen, post all your negative comments to Royce that, uh, for comparing a abdominal minor abdominal <laughs> injury to being pregnant. Although I think it's beautiful, I want to tiptoe out of the room. May- maybe what if what if you took a year off and you made yourself strap like a twenty five pound vest to you for nine months? So you you, you took and, and to, to mimic being born. Maybe maybe they're actually cheating. They're getting some sort of hormonal advantage, and they've they've strapped for nine months of the their workout because you know these women keep working out while they're pregnant. Oh yeah, and maybe maybe it's just like just weight vest training that makes it so that they can come back so strong. And then they have that one minor hiccup that's called the birthing process. But whatever, any 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 chump could do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that. I mean, that's kind of like the, the point, right? Is that there's no real there's no real comparison to it. And it and it quite literally is uh, training through adversity. You know, it's a it's a very I don't know twisted definition of the um of the train hard and fight easy. But the I think the problem is the kicker is that um, after the birth, there's there's a lot more. It doesn't it doesn't actually get easier straight away. Like you actually you get you do get like a dump of hormones. And um, I've had so many pregnant women from our gym tell me they they felt so strong in their last trimester, like physically strong. Yep. And then after the birth, they were like weak again because you're losing all these extra red blood cells. You're losing all this, all these hormones. Um, your body is like just gone through mass trauma. Um, and so it's healing. And so, yeah, you actually come out far weaker in a weird way. And it's, um, so that has a physical toll, but also has a mental toll as well, where you feel obviously like a bit in tatters, sleep schedules out of control, all kinds the of sleep, things. Like the sleep, man. Yeah. It's not just the lack of sleep; it's the broken sleep. That's what that's what breaks you. And then you know, there's there's so much people don't talk about it enough, I guess, or at least not publicly. I suppose it's up to the individual. But there's so much more mental health stuff that goes on too with mums. Like mum guilt's a real thing. You want you have you want to get back to your life, but you feel guilty because you you should um, be loving this this kid like more than anything else. So you, what you know, so there's all these conflicting emotions, and it really it really can can mess with people. And um, you know, people don't. I guess don't realize what that is like. I mean, I see, I saw it with, with my wife and she's not even like an athlete. Like she wasn't rushing back to compete. It was just simple things like, oh, I just want to sit down and watch a TV show, but I feel so guilty because I shouldn't 
want to watch a TV show more than I love my baby, right? But it's a really false equivalency. Like it's not a person who takes so much, you know, you need, you need to like um, have, have something um, back for yourself. And so it's, um, it, it's, it's pretty, pretty deep battle, you know, that, that post post birth thing. So I think that I, honestly, I mean, I, I've never experienced it obviously, but I would have to say based on what I've seen, the physical toll of birth is, is the least of the worries. It's that mental, emotional, it's the long journey after that, you know, that people, that makes it all the more crazy that, that these girls are requalifying in that year going through all that. Like, I guess in a weird way, maybe it makes the competition side the easiest thing they've done that year. The perspective is everything, right? How many kids do you have? We've got three now. And how old are you? I'm 30. Wow. Well, you're, you're like chasing down Travis, tra- Travis M- Mayor. 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 You're driving down. You're you're chasing down Travis Mayer. Are you having yeah, more? Yeah, is he four now? It's Travis four. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think he just had his fourth. Um, yeah. Are 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 you going to have more? Uh, you can never say never, but but Laurie, my wife, has called it. She's like, no, nah, that's it. Um, and so, how old is she? No uh, she's 30, 34. 34. Okay. Yeah, and, and another thing interesting is this probably age plays a part in that too because we, my wife and I waited till she was 39 and I was 43. And I could have never, at, 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 if I would have had a baby at your age at 30, you know, between 30 and 40 were my grinding years. I mean, I would just, I, I literally worked every second I was awake 365 days a year. And so then by the time my kids came, I was like tapped. I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good with working. I'll just spend all this time 30. Yeah. It's an, it's an impressive time. I mean, those are, you're kind of in your, in your, your peak, peak man, manhoodness, everything you built in the first 30 years now has to be put to work. Um, yeah. and how, how tall are you? Um, so I still don't actually know. I had on my license for the longest time, 183 centimeters, which is mm-hmm. like maybe half an inch over six foot. Um, but then I've, Measured myself randomly since then, and I've even come up with 185 at times. Um, so I'm between, somewhere between 83 and 85 centimeters, 183, 85, but um, bang on six foot, basically, just over six foot. And how much do you weigh? Um, about 105 kilo at the moment, so 231, 232. Ooh. Yeah, you look, you look very thick. In your in your photos, you look like a, a very large man. Well, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how much you weigh, what or what you think. Brian will tell us. Brian, how much? How tall is he, and how much <laughs> does he weigh? Tell tell him so we can solve if, the mystery for him. If he hadn't, uh, if he hadn't said that, I would have guessed that he was six one two twenty. So it would have been a little off on the weight. Yeah, and and how much will you weigh when you show up to the games? Uh, I, I can only assume I'll be I'll be down to like 102, like 225. Um, we're doing a lot more endurance training. I mean, I've been I've actually ironically been running more and swimming more this year, or you know, like 2020 to 2021, than any other year. But I um, I also started doing more weightlifting again than I have been in the last few years, and so um, I didn't think I'd put on weight, but um, we did some like testing, some force testing stuff, and um, they obviously weigh you before it. And yeah, I was like 105, 106. So I've gone up like, yeah, five to eight pounds. Is that, are you, are you um, doing more of that stuff because of the program you're following? 
Well, literally that that testing day was just. Oh, sorry, the weightlifting. You mean the weightlifting, the running, the swimming. Yeah, the running, the swimming is just it's just always been a weakness that I'm just not a not an endurance athlete, and so um, just been slowly improving that across my my career, I guess. Um, and like Rich, Rich does do a lot of that, so um, it's more just making it a priority and getting it in each week rather than um, it's the first thing that you skip in a in a week, right? When you're busy, well, at least I do. Is the running and the and the rowing? You love, everyone loves to keep the metcons and the um, weightlifting in, but then also, ironically, I haven't been doing that much strength. Um, these last couple of years because it wasn't it wasn't a weakness and um, I wanted to put more time and effort into the conditioning but I started getting back into the more into the Bergener strength stuff it was more complexes and, and just working on the technique right being able to make sure I'm still moving well rather than just trying to add weight per se but yeah just the extra volume has um, has added some mass what, what's Rich's program called Mayhem so one of the one of the elements of it is they do Mayhem Bergener strength so they're working with Mike Bergener and um, Sage Bergener, and they write all the weightlifting program for all the Mayhem tracks. And then what? And then what is the 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 other programming you do? It's it's Rich's programming, and what's it called? Is it like Mayhem Competitors, or what is it? Yeah, so the, the actual program is called Mayhem Athlete, and then they have a bunch of tracks. And the one I follow is the What's Rich doing? So literally, Rich just texts what he's done that day to Jake. And Jake writes it into the software, and it publishes two weeks behind him, so they never have to like worry about a lag. Um, whereas I think a fair few of the Mayhem athletes do Mayhem Compete, which is where Jake and Rich actually sit down and program it. And often they will do the Mayhem Compete workout as um, as their workout. So when you look at what's Rich doing, it's there's a lot of overlap, just a couple of weeks behind it. Don't you need to be doing? How long have you been following his programming? Since uh, July of 2016. Okay, so for a long time. So you're you're a happy, happy customer. You're getting results. You're like, yeah. I found my spot. Okay, yeah. and but if it's two, if it's lagging two weeks behind, and this is the training he's doing to prepare himself for the CrossFit Games, shouldn't you be getting it maybe two weeks ahead of time now? Yeah, so around like um, around big big events like a regionals or the semifinals um, will change up a little bit. So obviously I've got a crew here as well at my gym that will that train with. So we might like improv some of the workouts heading into the semifinals. But then like this year, for example, they had a track, they set up a temporary track for each of the semifinals. So you can go into the mayhem to the sugar wad and choose I'm keeping at Torium pro. And it, they've got all the workouts, obviously got them um, from the Instagram and they've like got the work, like, you know, um, efforts of the workout design to peak you into the week. Did the same thing for Mac. Did the same thing for Granite. Um, and then leading into the games, I'll um, like Jake just added me to a text thread with a few of the other qualifiers, and so like they're sending us what Rich is doing. Like, well, it'll be Wednesday your time. I'll get today what, what Rich did today. Um, as of the day you guys just just lived, and then um, so we're following that long, and then I'll get over to the states um, as early as I can, probably early July, and. Um, and I'll head up to Tennessee and we'll, we'll train up there and we'll kind of put together a bit of a camp. And um, so, yeah, prepping into the event, I'll be doing, I'll be training day in, day out with them. Um, and just throughout the year, the two weeks is never like, you know, the Open, for example, like I, I kind of don't, especially this year with the top 10% thing, I didn't really bother peaking for it. I just followed what's Rich doing until it was technically two weeks before the Open and then just did the Open and kind of um, skipped ahead to the, to the training after the Open. So, it's not a big deal most of the year. And then, as I said, around the big comps, there's like procedures in place to like help us um, 
help us, those of us who are qualified get the most success we can. Look at me trying to find a hole in, in Rich's programming, and you're like, uh-uh. I get on a special text thread with Rich because I qualify for the game. Sorry, sorry, Brian, go ahead. Is there any difficulty or concern about being able to travel to the United States? Um, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not, nothing's a lock, I guess, so I'm, I'm not trying to get too excited. But I've spoken to a lot of guys here in Australia who are both Australians who have traveled to the U.S. for work as well as a couple of um, US citizens that, that come here for work. And uh, apparently it's not that hard. You just, um, the, the home affairs, it's called Australia in Australia, the home affairs, you just kind of keep keep reapplying for an exemption. If they knock you back, you just reapply with more info until basically you wear them down is, is what I've been told. People like that just keep reapplying. They eventually, if you make a big enough deal and you have enough supporting documents, they'll just let you go. And is the, CrossFit helping with that? Do they do they send you any like like a, a, a something on gold parchment with a signature of with Dave Castro's signature on it? So well, straight away, like the day after they sent us like a, the official um, like official letter with an invite, um, as well as obviously you get the, like, the online invite and all that kind of thing in the email to actually register. But they sent us like a, a proper letter, and then uh, our like Australian New Zealand CrossFit HQ manager, his name is Ed. He wrote all the athletes a special letter signed by Rosa that um, like talks about our status as, a, as an official, as a professional athlete in the sport of CrossFit and so on. So those are the first two documents. We'll try, I tried the application last night with that. I should hear back from, from the Australian government either today or, or tomorrow. And if they knock me back then, then I'll just I'll request, I'll have CrossFit to you know, just keep upping the ante of like more supporting of documents, more official stuff, maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe like a letter from, from Dave if, if it needs to be. Um, they've been pretty good. HQ been really good, proactive, like reaching out to us really early and um, filling us in a little bit about what the procedure will be like in the States when I, when I get there. Did a radio turn on behind you? Yeah, I'm just at the gym and uh, there must be uh, someone hitting the workout because they're cranking okay. the... Um, Would you mind opening the door and telling them kindly to shut the fuck up? <laughs> <laughs> Voice, will you guys like like the group of athletes that qualified? If you find some success in, in getting over here, and you know that Baden or Jay or Car or one of the girls is struggling, will you guys kind of work together and share what's worked to help you know try to get everyone over here? Yeah, definitely. So me and uh, me and Jay, for example, have already been chatting a bit. Um, he's got a guy. Um, I, I assume some of all athletes have um, some like managers and stuff that are helping them with the application process. Even though it, it's pretty straightforward, actually. When I did it myself, I thought I was going to get someone to help me, but it's actually pretty straightforward. If I get knocked back, I'll, um, I'll get some help for the, the reapplication just to make sure I'm getting the best chance. Um, but yeah, like for example, I got a little intel from, um, from, from an American I know who just, just got back to Australia. And the way it works in Australia is that when you get back here, you got to do a two-week quarantine in a, in a hotel. They like take you from the airport to the hotel and um, you be, can't leave your room for, uh, for 14 days. And you got to pay three thousand Australian dollars. So oh about dollar fifty American. Um, so three three thousand Australian, and um, that you have to pay that. That's like just your price for, for leaving the country and coming back, I guess. And then, um, but someone who came from America, she actually had a special case exemption, and she didn't have to pay for it. And they, they do that. There are exemptions where you don't we don't have to pay. And um, so I shared that with with Ed. To, to tell all the Australian athletes that we we very much should be applying for an exemption of like look we've just represented the country and sport um, like I know for a fact like the tennis players when they came for the Australian Open for example weren't paying for, for a quarantine I mean they 
decide to do a different route where you do this like um, personal quarantine where you can like pay these companies and fly in a private jet, you get to skip all the government stuff, but it costs you like hundreds of thousands. Um, but there are exemptions and, and precedent for, for athletes and people who are like representing the country to not have to pay for this quarantine. So I'll definitely be trying to, to get an exemption there. And I told the other guys about it so they can try to do the same thing. So yeah, we're definitely like in it together. If, um, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? You can pay money to get around it. We have a we have a border with Canada. Canada is the country to our north, and it is the, the horror stories of Americans crossing the Canadian border are endless, right? Endless. I mean, they, they harass the shit out of us coming into their country. And yet, one time I flew on a private jet from Ohio to Toronto, and we landed. And I think we landed like at six o'clock at night and the customs had already stopped working. So we just got off the jet. No one stamped our passport and we rolled into the country. And it just makes me realize that this whole thing is theatrics. It's all, it's all, it's all just, it's all, it, it, it's nauseating to me. I, 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 I'm not against people being rich. I'm not against people paying people to get shit done. But, um, but I am against the fact, I mean, I've heard that before too in New Zealand and Australia that if you pay like two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you can quarantine at home. I'm like, geez, come on, man, come on, yes. come on, yes. man. The tennis players did, but yeah, it's two hundred fifty or something grand, and you, these companies, like special companies, do it for you. They like get you on a private jet, you're in this, you're in your own bubble in the airport. You never actually go to the public part. You get to land, and go straight to like the hotel of your choice, like some five star resort, whatever. It's um, yeah, you know, it's the great, it's the uh, the one great. Um, discrimination on earth is, is uh, classism, right? It trumps every other kind of phobia, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, like racism, sexism, you know, homophobia. It's all comes second to classism. If you've got enough money, you just, you know, rules for thee but not for me, right? That's just how it goes in every aspect of life. And, and we know it to be true, right? We see it. Like we know that we know that billionaires just live a different life to us, but we kind of just weirdly accept it because we all kind of wish we were the billionaire, right? Well, and I like, and I, and I, and I don't have a problem with that. Like, I'm, I'm okay with my neighbor driving a, a much nicer car than me, you know, or finding a job that makes more money than me. Or I'm, I'm okay. I, I realize that first class seats are important because they help subsidize. They're really expensive on an airplane, and they help subsidize the ticket cost for the rest of the airplane. And I, I went in. You know, I don't remember what year it was. It was. Two thousand and seven or eight, I bought a nineteen eighty six Mercedes SEL used for three thousand dollars. And when that car came out on the market, it was the most expensive production car ever made at one hundred and six thousand dollars. But I bought one mint, you know, twenty years later, and there was great. There were great features in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there was. It was the first car with an airbag. So I mean, I like the fact that. Um, Rich people will buy all that stuff. It'll get innovated. Then once enough people have self-parking cars, it trickles down. I'm cool with that. But there's something about not trusting the people to quarantine by themselves. But if you pay enough money, you all of a sudden become trustworthy. That's the part I don't like. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, like, like money helps, shouldn't, money shouldn't make you trustworthy or less trustworthy. I, I agree with you on principle and I, and I agree with you with the, um, like the same same idea. I don't. I'm not like an eat the rich guy. Like I don't care that people have money. Like it's everyone. For the most part, everyone works for it, right? And I think I right. actually heard it put put really well about um, Bezos, for example, about Amazon. 
um, someone I was watching some talk show, and the guy was like, "Look, I don't, I don't begrudge Jeff Bezos for his first you know, couple of billion because he created a product that we all use it. Like, why is why is he rich? Because we all buy things from Amazon. Like, we get what we want, right?" He's like, "But I do begrudge him his his second billion, which was like when this when the start when you get so rich and powerful that you start to, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, cheat the game, I guess. So you start to rig the game, where you know, like everyone's in lockdown." except Amazon. Amazon's allowed to, you know, keep making millions while we're all the small businesses get put out of business. So that kind of thing, right? That comes later, obviously. Yeah. Got rich yeah. the first time through mostly legitimate means. And as you say, even like the fact that while these companies pay barely any tax, the small amount of tax they do pay is what pays for most things because our couple of hundred bucks a month in tax definitely doesn't get anything done. And so, you yeah, know, there's more. There's that's more. a good point. There's more intricacies to it than uh, than just you know rich people get good stuff, um, but at the same time it's like you know it's, it's it's not a perfect theory, but it's the same thing with like adoptions, right? Like they make the the costs of adoptions so exorbitantly high in the hopes of just weeding out you know untoward people. And as you say, on principle, money doesn't make you trustworthy or a good person, but at least there's there's theoretically a bunch of people. It, it makes crime harder, right? Like if you go, if you were walking past the car and it was unlocked, it's a lot easier to rob, to steal the change out of the console than if it was locked, right? You can still pick the lock, but maybe you keep walking because you can't be bothered, right? So the higher you raise the bar, it does naturally weed out more undesirables. Of course, there's no guarantee and you'd be naive to think that just because I can afford a private quarantine doesn't mean I'm not going to screw around and break all the rules, but at least it's it's somewhere to start from, right? Right, right. Well said. I'm, I, I like how you threw a, a metaphor in there. The, the the change in the cars. I I love a good metaphor. Yeah, not from personal experience, obviously. Are 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 you born and raised in in Brisbane? Yeah. And did you play sports as a kid? Yes, I played uh, Australian football. It's called. Cool. I don't know if you guys know it, but it's very similar to like Gaelic football. <clears throat> and how old were you when you started that? Uh, five or six, like right when I started school. And that is that the only sport you ever played? You, did you do gymnastics or soccer or? Um, like I did in, in school, we did a bunch of different sports, but that was the only sport I played um, properly. And then um, Australia's got a pretty good swim and, and like track and field program in school and high school. Um, it's probably the only thing, only program that's pretty comparable to the states, I guess. Like other other sports, like it's so funny, like you know. Um, we were talking. We had Jesse Williams training here for a while. He played for Alabama for four years. Um, I don't know what the university is called. Alabama University, I guess. They, he won like four championships with them, and so he's a superstar. And we were talking about that and how like college coaches or even high school coaches can get paid in the hundreds of thousands of the millions in, in the states. I mean, in Australia, the football coach is just the PE teacher who's on you know sixty grand a year who just does it. That's that's his unit cover for that week for that month. So it's just very much under-resourced compared to the States, but swimming and track, because Australia does decent in the Olympics at both those sports, we'll see like a lot more resource and a lot more programs and like the scouting um, infrastructure is a lot better. You'll get good swimmers picked up when they're like 10, whereas, you know, it's not the same with other sports. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got one older brother, one younger brother and a younger sister. Wow. So you're so, okay. So you're the third third oldest. Second oldest. Oh, two. Uh, 
how the sister say that again tell me tell me tell me who's who again um older brother then uh-huh. me and then a younger sister and then a younger brother last yeah doesn't that make you the third oldest I mean, I guess semantically, I don't know the difference. <laughs> Second what, order, t- third order. Wait, Brian, he's got, he's got, he's got, he's got two younger than him. Yes. So he's the second oldest. Yeah. No, so he's got right- two younger than him. Oh, second. Okay, right, 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 right. Sorry. Right, 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 right. I see what you're saying. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Semantics. All right. I'll it's learn like how percentile. to hook you percentile now. Well, is it? Is it? A, is it a competitive group? These four. Uh, not really. No, my older brother is um, quite a bit older. He's he's five years older than me, and then me and my two younger siblings are within a five year gap. So me and my little brother get on really well. Um, me and my sister got on great when we were kids because we were very close in age. And um, my little brother was was a bit too young for me to like be competitive with. Like he, I was always like his older brother, and uh, and then me and my sister didn't really compete because um, we just it's a different relationship, brother and sister. Well, at least for us, it was. Um, so no, it was, we were all pretty much like our own, our own kind of game. Are you competitive? Uh, funnily enough, I, I wouldn't have said yes, but, but obviously I, I am. And when it comes like, um, I, I actually surprised myself in competition with how hard I go in workouts and the, the times I put up versus in my training, because in the moment I'm just possessed to like want to beat people. Whereas, like in training or in general, um, I definitely don't relate to that that kind of mentality. <laughs> but it's a, a bit of a curse that just comes over me, I guess. What is the most discomfort, physical discomfort, you felt in your life? Like, have, did you ever? I know you haven't given birth. Um, what is? Do you, is it? Is it a CrossFit workout? I guess that's an easy, easier answer because that's what like is fresh in your head. I'm trying to think of any injuries I've had, like really bad. I'm pretty fortunate. I've never really broken anything or um, or any, any physical injury I've had hasn't been massively painful for whatever reason. Like I, I ruptured all the ligaments in my um, ankle actually at the 18 regionals, but I, I kind of barely felt it. Um, yeah, as sad as it sounds, I think honestly, yeah, the most pain I've been in was probably a CrossFit workout. <laughs> Sounds very sheltered, doesn't it? I, I, what, what, Brian? You're, you're perplexed. You're not buying it. You know you, something that happened I didn't to know him. Know that you ruptured all your ligaments in your ankle in 2018 regional. That's the year you yeah, qualified well, and made the games. Yeah. So on the, on the box, I don't think it's on camera, but on the box step over workout, as I was coming down, um, my ankle just rolled under. So you know, 220 pounds plus to 70 pound dumbbells came down this ankle, and um, my ATFL. Um, completely ruptured, grade three, grade three tear, and um, my ankle rolled so hard that the most painful part was the bruising of my foot against the underside of my of my medial ankle bone. Like the the foot rolled so hard that the bones bruised, and um, that was the hard. That was the most painful part, and that lasted the longest too. But um, my physio, who's a friend of mine, he he lied to me and told me it was a grade two tear and that was still attached, and you'll be alright, and just like. You know, do this rehab and don't run it for a couple of weeks, and we'll be sweet by the games. And then after, and it was, it was, it was fine. And then after the games, he told me like, yeah, no, it was, it was completely ruptured. If you'd rolled your ankle again, you'd, you'd be needing like surgery. So, um, because I don't want you to think about that because then you probably would have. Um, so that was, and there's nothing you could do anyway, right? He's like, you couldn't, you couldn't get surgery on it. So I just told you it was a grade two for your own head, but the, the rehab was exactly the same, whether it was two or three, 
so no ethical issue as far as like you know malpractice but it was just um try and keep me positive like oh yeah no it's still still a little bit attached you, you're okay um so yeah it was it was completely eruption you talk how did to, you do uh, with the games in 2018 uh i think like most rookies i got completely flattened <laughs> it was it was an awesome experience and i loved it and i look I, you know, I remember after i won the total i was sitting there thinking like you know guys like Noah olsen have been to the, like at the time in 18 i think it was his fifth trip maybe I like, you know, this guy, this guy's been to the games five times. He's a perennial top 10 athlete, like, and he's never won an event, and I have. So I was super, like, humbled and grateful for that, like, to have made a mark. But then um, I pretty much uh, languished in that bottom heat and uh, I had a couple of good finishes and, like, a couple of, you know, heat win to, to feel awesome about the experience. But, um, yeah, it was very much like, like I think most rookies, with a few notable exceptions, you just—it's the shock of the uh, of the level of competition and also just the the unsuredness, right? Like I remember vividly the um, the uh, chaos workout was like it was such a cool idea and like I wish that I wish now I'd enjoyed it more at the time of like how cool it was that we were doing an event where like you know the ultimate kind of CrossFit um, theory of a workout of like hey do this until I say stop and then I'll tell you what to do when we get there. And I just went out really conservative. I was just so scared. Like, oh, what if this is a 20-minute workout? What if I burn out? Like, you know, I've got to pace this out. Just trying not to hurt, right? Just being a bit soft. And I, I wish I'd kind of done what Khan did, which was he was he just went hard out. He was like leading the pack for like halfway. And he fell back a bit. Like he got he got pipped by a few people, but still finished like pretty decent. I think he was top 15. And so like that was better than I, I came like fourth last in that workout because I just waited too long to make the move. And so, I, yeah, a bit of bit of that at the first in your first games, right? It's a bit unsure of like, you know, you don't want to try to pace every workout almost too much of like, you don't want to hurt too much. You want to, you know, finish strong. But really, I wish I'd gone in there with a bit more confidence and just attacked the workouts and like just had a go and see what what, what I was capable of. <clears throat> Savon, you know who was also in the last heat a lot of that games? Who? Josh Bridges. <laughs> Oh, 2018 was the first year that I was told I couldn't do the behind the scenes anymore. And uh, ironically, that was the beginning of the end for CrossFit. Just yeah. a correlation. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that hurts, Brian. That hurts. That hurts. My, my buddy. Did you, did you, were you in heats with Josh? Yeah, yeah. So I had a good time with Josh, and he, he's a he's a good dude. And um, yeah, he was he was pretty broken that year. I remember he was talking about it actually. Every time someone would ask him like, "Hey, hey man, you're right." Like he's limping from like from the warm up area, and he would tell us about yeah, it's the knee and this and that. And like he obviously got when he got all the surgeries after that game. So he said he's like, "I'm just gonna get through this games, and then go get these surgeries, get all the stuff cleaned up, and you know, get back to it." So it made me feel better, even though I know he was like <laughs> at like probably fifty percent capacity. It was like, oh yeah, I'm in the same heat as Josh Bridges, like. Not not total losers down here. Like we're all we're all get to rub shoulders with Josh at least, and um, I beat him in that in that snatch uh, bar muscle up workout. So that was like a, a cool moment of like we're doing okay here. So it made me feel better. So grateful to Josh for uh, giving giving the bottom heat some hope and help, you know, making us feel like we were still athletes. <laughs> I think I think the story goes he was deployed. This is early on in his career, and he was training overseas. And I think they wrestled a lot. And the, the guys wrestled a lot in his deployment. 
and he was wrestling a guy and something happened to his knee. And to this day, I don't think it's ever fully recovered. I think he's had a bunch of surgeries, but whenever I talk to him, I'll say something to him. Or I think, I think I was just on the phone with him the other day too. I was on a three-way call with him and Dave and he said that basically he's avoiding super heavy stuff because his knee just can't take it anymore. And I think, I think he's really cut back on his like ruck runs. I think that's something that a lot of the seals, like that's sort of their bread and butter for conditioning. And I think he's, I don't want to misspeak, but I think he's cut back on, on those two running with really heavy stuff. Yeah. That knee, that knee is definitely screwed up. He should yeah, take that, a golf or sense. something. Uh, the golf, golf is, well, if you do, if you do real golf, so in a real golf tournament, you can't use a buggy. You have to walk. So you got to walk 18 holes. It's pretty, it's pretty rough. That's why all the golfers these days look like freaking baseball players. When they used to be like fat white guys smoking cigars. Now they're all like <laughs> elite athletes um, because you can't compete unless you're, you know, in the best shape of your life, pretty much. But, really, um, a caddy yeah. doesn't a caddy doesn't carry your clubs for you in golf. The caddy does. Caddy ca- ca- carry oh. the clubs, oh. but you can't like use a golf cart. You can't like, um, yeah, you have to walk the entire green and all that kind of stuff. So it's um, you got to be pretty, got to be decently athletic because you're also trying to hit these like, you know, four hundred yard drives every every like, you know, twenty minutes. So, um, yeah, it might not be the best sport for someone with a bad knee, honestly. <laughs> you, you made a post that on Sunday, driving to the event, that you had a, a breakdown. I think those were your words. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really piqued my curiosity. Tell me, tell me about that. And, and what place were you in Sunday morning? Uh, Sunday morning, I can't remember if I was in second or third, but I'm, I was at least in third. I, was, I, was, I knew I was in the top three. And um, which is is a I think a tough spot to be in. Well, it depends on the on your confidence level, I suppose. But I think most people would agree that it's tough to be in the spot with a day left versus like fighting for the spot. At least you have like, a clear goal, and um, you know if you shoot for the stars kind of thing, and you miss. At least you had a had a go. But if you're the one holding the ball and you drop it, it's a much worse feeling. So the pressure is a bit higher. And um, so it was it was just yeah it was a pretty like emotional day, I guess. Like it wasn't even you know, super, it sounds really deep, but it was, it was actually pretty, pretty um, just basic of like, I was pretty stressed out. Like, as I said, it was a big um, shock coming back from team to individual of like, it, it's all self-imposed stuff, right? Like ego stuff, like, oh, if I don't qualify, like I'm in my mind, I'm supposed to be a good athlete. If I don't qualify, then I'm not a good athlete. What does it say about me? And you know, or, or just all like, you know, your, your basic ego stuff. And I was just getting a bit like, man, do I even like want this? Like, oh, what if I what if I do qualify? I'm gonna start training for the CrossFit Games. Like, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. And uh, the breakdown kind of came from just like, you know, it was it was like the fourth day in a row because you know Thursday I worked Thursday morning and then we had check in all night and stuff. So it was like the fourth day in a row that Laurie has like basically spent all day at home with, the, with these three kids, these three crazy kids. One of them is a newborn that like can't be put down or she cries. And um, like while I'm off, like you know, competing and then all the months before that when it's like I'm just off in the shed, you know, basically like mucking around training, right? Like if, it, if I'm not going to qualify and make and like actually treat this professionally, then all the, all those last few months has really just been me mucking around, like, you know, having a good time and, and pretending to be an athlete while she's been doing all the hard work. So it was like I wanted this at one point and maybe like, you know, this weekend's kind of wore me down a bit. But if I don't like fulfill my potential or like at least have a crack, like even if I don't qualify, it, I have to treat this seriously or it's, or it is not worth like not honoring Laurie's time and my 
kids' time when I told them I couldn't play because I had to go train, all that stuff. So it's like it, it just really has to be a, a conversion, a conversion of the of the effort, and uh, and that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit of like, all right, like I owe this to more than just myself, and um, and yeah, it's, it, it was pretty simple, simple as that. It was like I was just having a moment of like, yeah, like like everyone does in comp, like you you know. This sucks. Like, why do we why do we sign up for this? I hate this. And then um, it was like, yeah, but it's not about how you feel. To I mean, if it was easy to to do that, there'd be a lot more athletes. Honestly, like people think the hard part is the training and all that stuff, but it's the hard part is actually walking through all the self doubt and also just not going to water at the moment when it counts. Were you in the car by yourself? Did you talk this out with someone, or did you talked it out with yourself? That was just in the car by myself. Just listening Man. to some tunes. Listen to some country tunes. Some of those, some of those songs that get emotional, you know. <laughs> it was actually, ironically, the thought came to me. I was listening to, um, I can't remember who sings it, but it's called "Something to Be Proud Of," and it's like it's a pretty emotional song. It's like these lyrics about, um, about you know, this this guy getting his, his dad telling him his life story and like, you know, a life is as simple. You can be as proud of your life if it's as simple as putting food on the table for your family and stuff. And it's like just really like classic, like. Um, you know, American country values and um, which is pretty universal. Right. And I, yeah, it just got me thinking about family and I was thinking about the kids and how like they didn't want me to leave that, like that Sunday they didn't want me to go. And Jack was trying to ask him to come with me. And um, yeah, it just got me thinking about all that stuff. And then, yeah, it was a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a mini breakdown of like, I don't want to do this. I should just go home right now, like withdraw and just go home and hang out with the family. But that's when I started thinking like, no, if you just quit now, like an idiot, then you then you just wasted their their last year or two anyway. So it's it's time to like pony up and let's go. Did the um and how many did the sorry go ahead, did the last part the clean and jerk was on Saturday night, right? That's right. Did the way that that event ended weigh into your feelings at any point on Sunday morning? Because I'm I'm guessing <laughs> you were pretty bummed about that last bar. Why? How did what happen? <laughs> oh. I'll give you I'll give you the run through. So uh, okay. well. It's, it's funny. There's two parts to it, right? Because we knew, and a lot of and a lot of the athletes, a lot of the spectators, I think, knew as well. There was a there was a tie break on the last bar with how quickly you, you cleaned it. Like the person who hits it the fastest gets the win. But I also think quite a few people didn't realize that. And so from their perspective, you know, three, two, one, rotate. I basically ran to this bar, picked it up, hit a hit a decent clean, and then just completely thrown the jerk like really really obvious miss like just kind of what is this idiot doing like why did he rush that so much and miss it like what a loser and then i reattempted it but had nothing left and found it pretty miserably and it was like people were just like what is this guy doing like what did i just what did i just watch but um what it was is it was a bit of a gamble with like the three boys had hit it already like i, I know them all personally and they're all better at jerking than me so i figured if i take my time i'll probably be the slowest anyway so I'll just try and send it and just, you know, try and gamble on a, on a win. So I missed the bar, but because I was the fastest person to hit the, um, the bar before it, it was the same placing, right? Like the, if I was the last person to hit the final clean jerk or the first person to hit the one before it, it still gave me fourth place. So it was like nothing really lost. And I think it was a good moment for me, honestly, because um, while it would have been cool to get an event win on the event that everyone thought I should win, it's... um. It was a it was a good kind of humbling of like look you know what like that's that didn't go to plan and look like, look like an idiot in front of everyone missing this bar by rushing it but don't worry about that so much like sort of get out, get out of your head like you're not here 
like the fans are awesome. Don't get me wrong, not, not to sound ungrateful. Like I really love the support um, from people I know and people I don't know alike. But at the same time, you're not there. You're not you're not working out just to make fans happy and, and get a clap and look cool. Like we're here to do a job and get points and, and qualify for the next stage. So it kind of got me out of my head a little bit of like, yeah, look, stop worrying if you fail. Like if you fail, you fail, but, but you got to give it a try. And so, yeah, it's easier to say, I wish I'd gone back and hit the bar, but in a weird way, like I said to someone the other day, I was like, if I could do my time again, I'd do the exact same thing. I would just try and hit it. Like actually like pull myself together and try and hit it because, you know, you, you can't be scared of failure. You gotta, you gotta risk it sometimes. I was surprised that you decided what? to take your shirt off for that lift. <laughs> Why? Is, is that, is that slippery? Does it make the bar slippery? Why do you say that, Brian? Just yeah, yeah, a lot kept of people it on for every other bar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people Sorry, go ahead, put Royce. their shirt back on for like a heavy lift because it, it stops the bar from slipping. But I, I personally never had that problem, at least not with the, with the weights I can hit. Like my, my clean and jerk is probably not as heavy as it should be for what I can front squat and, and strict press. So if I, had, if I had better technique, if I was like a pure weightlifter in my weight class, you should be able to clean and jerk like 190, 200, like 440 pounds kind of thing. Like a lot of the guys in my weight class here in this country, I know a few of them, they can hit like 430. So at that weight, you know, maybe yes, I probably need the shirt on. But like for the weights I lift, I've never had a slip. So shirt on, shirt off doesn't matter. But I had my belt under my shirt. So I was like going to ditch the shirt so I could like access my belt easier and just I didn't want to waste any time. I was all about this perfect transition to the bar and trying to win this tie break. But, you know, the, the critical part about that is you have to lift the bar. So that didn't go well. <laughs> and, and Brian, he's he's twice as thick as the rest of the guys. He's got like a, a, a wider platform to rest on, and he's got some chest hair that the knurling can hold on to. He's good. Well, I so, got to yeah, say it. Astute observation, yeah. Brian. But As little as I invest emotion in when I make the rankings, when I'm sitting there watching, and I'm obviously pulling for him because I'm like, man, Royce, first of all, I, I think he's a, a really good guy, although I haven't met him before. I obviously want, you know, the guys I picked to do well. I was like, man, I wonder if he kept his shirt on, if he would have hit that lift. It's like maybe a silly thought, but that's what I was thinking. Well, I think um, the, bar, the bar felt good for me was the, the moment I put my hands on it and pulled it off the ground, I realized that I'd grabbed the bar like with both my hands to the left, like too far off center. And I kind of tried to adjust it on the jerk a little bit. And then it went up nice, but it was like, I felt like the entire 335 pounds was on my left arm and it just, I immediately just crumbled and like dropped it. And I was like, damn, if I was just in the center, I think I could have pulled off like a fast clean and jerk. Um, so it was, it wasn't even the shirt. It was just the fact that when I ran over there, I just didn't grab it in the right spot, which is what happens when you rush. So it was, you know, like I said, one of those calculated risks that this time didn't pay off. It's it's interesting. On one hand, you made a rookie mistake by pulling the bar, but you made a vet wrong wrong hand placement. But you made a veteran advancement by not letting it get into your head. And it it it, it can give you confidence now going into the games, knowing, hey, I can screw up an event and still win this shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> what what do what do you think his competitors think about him, Brian? After seeing his performance, like the other people who will be at the games. Yeah, like, what do you think? What do you think the? What do you think the? Are, are, is he on their radar? Does they? Does the winner of the Tory and Pro get on people's radar? Is is the competition stiff enough in Australia where he's like, oh shit, we got a fucking another guy who's going to try to break the top ten this year? 
Uh, I'm I'm pretty curious about that actually. I mean, obviously James Newberry did make the top ten in 2019, and there are you know there's a lot of people who think Jay Crouch is very good and has a lot of potential. Um, so to hang with him and and end up beating him by the end of the weekend is great. Uh, you know <clears throat> that thing that I said at the start of those like six to eight guys in Australia that I feel like in any given weekend could be right up there. Um, and I think that it's such a tight community all there that they all kind of know that and know each other too. Um, but we haven't seen, I mean, just, just being honest outside of James doing that, we really haven't seen the guys from Australia in the top 10. So I'm pretty curious to see if that can happen. If I was a competitor, the thing that scares me about Royce is that he's that big. Obviously he's that strong, but he also is amazing at gymnastics. Like the three workouts that had the most gymnastics on the weekend were all top three finishes, I think. And I'm, I've actually been, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, what, like, what, how are you so good at ring muscle ups, chest to bar pull ups, and hanging with these small guys? Because a lot of big guys struggle with that. Yeah, I, I honestly don't know. I, I just, I, all the pulling gymnastics has always been good, like, fine for me, like, toes to bar, bar muscle ups, um, chest to bars are all some of my better movements. The pressing gymnastics is where the, the size, I definitely feel like how heavy I am and, I got a pretty long, long reach. Like I would, I'd call myself naturally a better squatter than I am a deadlifter, for example. But my deadlift is actually quite high because I got pretty long arms, like Austin Maliolo style, you know, Paul Ibarra style, right? So um, it kind of works for me great with uh, with those kinds of mechanics. But the the long arms and the and the heavy weight make like handstand push-ups like very, very difficult. They probably, um, I, I don't know if it's the it's the worst in the field, but they're probably up there. As, you know, Bukowski, for example, has better handstands than me. We're roughly the same size, but I think just limb length-wise, he's got a better ratio of arm to, to body. Plus, he's got better endurance than me, I think, just from his sporting background and the kind of athlete he is. But he, so won't, hang with you on the, he won't hang with you on the upper body pulling stuff. Maybe legless rope climbs, but chest-to-bar pull-ups, I think you you know have an advantage, bar muscles, ring muscle-ups. I, I hope so. Yeah, I, I would think so. I would, I would certainly bet on, on myself. Depending on the workout, um, in that regard against Brent and vice versa, other workouts he has the advantage. So yeah, I think it's just the pulling gymnastics do very well. Um, the pressing gymnastics still need work, but like anything, it's at, at, the, at the end of the day, I, I'm just probably never going to beat a Jay Crouch on a, on a handstand. It depends on how many handstands there are on a handstand workout. But just like Jay is probably never going to outclean and jerk me, and the time it would take Jay. To, to beat me on the time and effort it would take him to train to beat me in the clean joke would cost him way too much elsewhere. And and the time it would take me to get that good at handstands would cost me elsewhere. But you just got to make sure that the things you suck at aren't so bad that you can't come back from it. Right. Like, for, and it, it, you know, the people don't want to, don't want to admit this. And I guess to, to certain athletes, it's not true, but there, of course there is luck in the programming. Like you, you'd be naive to think there isn't, and, um, you know, certain athletes like your tears and your mats seem to be immune from that because there's really nothing they can't do at least very well, if not win. But um, I think for most of the, of the athletes in the middle, programming plays a bit of luck. And, you know, I looked at the, that one workout from the Mid-Atlantic Challenge that was um, 10 rounds of one legless rope climb, four strict handstand push-ups, six heavy dumbbell snatch, 100 pounds. Like, that's my dream workout. If there has to be a handstand push-up workout, that's, that's me because anyone, well, anyone, most of the people at the games could do four unbroken for 10 rounds. That's not hard. The legless rope climb, I think, is much more of a factor than the four handstands, which is good for me. And the dumbbells heavy is 
as crap. So that's like, you know, no one thinks that in the first two rounds until you're like six rounds in, that dumbbell is very heavy. So that's the perfect workout for me for a handstand workout, right? That's the handstand push-ups like done for the weekend. And it was a workout that I could probably top five. So it's like, there's a bit of luck in that, right? Versus if the, if the programming was Mary, like from the games, that would have, I would have probably been right there back with Brent in the back of the heat, like just dying slowly being like, crap, I wish I was smaller because what can you do, right? Like you just, it's too late. It's too late. You're there and you weigh 220 pounds. Well, you're the second big guy who's told us that that handstand push-up workout is favorable. Jason Hopper said the same thing. He's like, if there were big sets of strict handstand push-ups, that would have been different, but four I could do. And seven, I think we got to ask him since we asked what competitors might think about him. What do you think about Hopper? Have you watched any of his stuff? I have to admit that I haven't watched virtually any of the Mac. Um, but when whenever I see, I mean, I guess it's a bit of a a bit of a cognitive bias just from CrossFit's origin. I think this is true of most of the Aussies. And and back to your question, Savan, about what the competitors think about about the Aussies. I think there is a natural tendency to look at the US events and the US field and just assume it's it's stronger and deeper because historically it has been. And so I, I think, unfortunately. There wouldn't be a lot of the Americans, I think, that look at our region and see many threats, apart from like your standouts, like Tia and James, obviously, are flying the flag pretty high. But, you know, I doubt that many guys that don't know me personally looked at the pro and thought, okay, this guy's going to be a threat. I think it's just, yeah, that's the event in Australia. There's the event in South America. There's the event in Africa. Like, it's not on the radar. And it's, and it's kind of similar for me. Like, I, I don't know Jason Hopper into watching the events, but I think, like, when, it, when someone wins an event in America, you've got to assume this person is probably pretty legit because there's just more more people, more talent. It just runs deeper. So I think it's um it's a pretty legit claim to be the winner of the MAC. It's, it was a super stacked field. So, yeah, I don't know Jason. I didn't watch any of his events, but I think, like, as Castro put it best, he's for real. Isn't it interesting that the that the biggest Tia's biggest threat and Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, also comes out of Australia. The first and second best crossfitting women in the world are sitting on that giant island that's barely populated. Yeah, yeah, that is really cool. Honestly, that's a that's a cool. Um, Sarah what do you call her? Kara, Kara, Kara Saunders, or Kara Saunders, or what's her uh, name now? Kara. I, call, I think I we have. Oh, yeah, I like Cara. That's what I always call her too. Yeah. I think we have her on the podcast coming up here in a couple of weeks, and and she and she won the Torian Pro also, right? Right, by a lot more than I. And, did. <laughs> yeah, she 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 just smashed. By the way, Savan Royce won by one by one point. So it's kind of oh, a joke that's on both. Awesome. How, how many points did you have? Do you remember? Um, it was five five forty nine. Oh. Wow. So there's a lot of, it wasn't like six to five. It was like, wow. It was seven events. That's incredible. Do you know who took second place? Jay. Jay. Okay. And did, and did you guys, was, did you guys leave on good terms? Is it, is it, is it all fun and games? Yeah. So I, I knew Jay, um, a bit, I met him a few times and we, we interacted, but we got a lot closer over the weekend. We had a lot more chats and, um, he's a, he's a really good bloke. And like, you know, he's kind of, it's funny because his, his kind of brand or his reputation is like, he's this wonder kid, right? He's this young kid. He started when he was like 15 under, under Rob Forte. And, um, he's been on the team with Rob a couple of times. And now he's like, he's obviously solid. Like he didn't, ironically, he didn't have a finish worse than 10th. So he's, he was had a be- much better 
consistent record than I did over the weekend. I just hit a few more home runs than him. But um, so he, he's like the real deal. But for someone who is, you know, considered this like young gun, he's actually pretty like, he's very like together. He's very mature. He's got, um, he's, he's wise, I guess is the word to put it. Like, which I think has a lot of Rob's influence probably as well. But also I think he's just a kid with his head screwed on. And so, yeah, I really like Jay and we get, we get along quite well. You have this um, contraption at your gym. It's the I don't know what you call it. Brian probably knows what it's called. It's it's the it's a replica of the handstand walk cushion, um, but yours is made of wood. What's that thing called, Brian? It's just the obstacle course. It's probably got stairs on one side, ramp on the it's other. The obstacle, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. stairs on yes. one side. But I'm looking. I, I, I'm going through Instagram, and the first time I see it, I'm like, "Wow, that thing looks like it's made of wood." And then I see it in another photo, and I zoom in. I'm like, "Man, this this looks like a liability." What? Where did that come from? Did you make it? And have there been any injuries on that? So back in '18, um, when they released, I mean, it's that, made of plywood. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's made of made of ply with um some like uh, actual. I can't remember what they're called, like two by fours, like proper wood underneath it, framing it. Um, yeah, there's probably and, 20 sharp corners mm-hmm. on that thing. So, so we we made well one of the boys, um, CJ, one of our training partners. He just made one, like went to Bunning Sports and Wood and just made it in 2018 when they released at regionals that that workout. Because the AAI ones are um, they're about 1500 US, and then to ship them out to Australia is like another like 700 US or something crazy. It's just it's just too expensive. So the plywood yeah. cost. I think CJ got it all for like 150 bucks put it together himself. It's a bit bodgy. We still have it here at the gym. It's a bit of like a uh, memorabilia. We still use it. Um, and then uh, I know a, I know a carpenter here in Australia and um, he makes like pegboards and flyer boxes and stuff for the gyms. And um, I said to him, I sent him all the, all the measurements from the CrossFit website and I said, hey, can you, can you make this? And he goes, yeah, sure. And he's put like a pretty professional spin on it. Like he's sanded like around all the corners. It's like nice and polished. He's put like logos on it. He's installed some wheels. So like when you it's velcroed together, when you pull it apart, you can like wheel it around the gym. So like even Laurie can like move it at home. Like you don't have to be like you have to be strong to lift it or anything. It's like quite easy to move, maneuver. And um, I personally never, never had a fall on it. Um, one of the boys came over to my house to train, he, he fell on it, but like it was I mean, you got you got a bruise, like it's hard wood, obviously, but no one's ever been like mashed up by it. I think, you know, if you just do the proper progression in your handstand walk and try a few plates first or little things like that, then you should be fine because you're attempting like weightlifting, right? You're attempting a weight you are theoretically prepared for. So you don't just like someone just punches you in the face with a, with a handstand ramp. If you fail, you're failing kind of gracefully because you're at least in the realm of attempting it. So as long as you're not just like some, some random who walks into a gym and goes, Oh, let's give us a try next minute. So yeah, it, it could be a liability and it's definitely, not as safe as the as the foam ones, but like me personally, I don't attempt even in a workout. I don't attempt a handstand walk if I'm not confident I can make it because it's training. I wouldn't risk an injury anyway. Um, and I think Mike, um, as in the owner of, of, of Crossvictorian, was toying with the idea of getting a bunch of them made for the pro. But in that situation, in a comp setting, I think it, he just he couldn't justify the risk to athletes of falling down on a piece of wood. Um, because it's a, a competition um, environment where people are going to take risks and push themselves and throw safety out the window. So for the safety of athletes, it was like, no, we'll scrap that idea. But in training, I think they're great, especially if you um, if you 
have the capacity to train on it, you know what you're doing. So I see I see tons of them around on Instagram now. Like like that, that guy that I know, um, he's made a few more for a few other gyms. And even back in 2018, like people were like making up their own ones out of wood, like all over the place. So um, the wooden the wooden ramps do exist out there. You should throw a couple hundred mouse traps around the outside of it just to give you extra incentive to, <laughs> to not crash. Hey, if you fall now, now you're really screwed. Exactly. You, did, were you saying earlier when we first started talking that um, a couple weeks prior to the games that all of the mayhem athletes who qualified for the games will fly out to Dent, Tennessee ahead of time? Yeah, I, I assume so. I assume that all of them that can make it will, will be coming. And t- tell me about that. Is, does he do that every year? Is that part of the programming? I mean, that sounds really cool. That sounds really enticing and like, wow, what a great opportunity. It, it, it absolutely is. And um, so 2018, I remember after the regionals, I messaged Rich on Instagram and said, hey, um, I follow your program and I just qualified for the CrossFit Games. And Rich got back to me like the next day. Well, I woke up to the message because obviously the time difference of him being like, hey, man, that's, this is awesome. Like, come on out to Tennessee. Like, we'll, we'll train before the Games, like, blah, blah, blah. And at the time, I think I was technically the, the first satellite Mayhem athlete to make the Games. All, all the other Mayhem athletes were like at, at CrossFit Mayhem. And um, in, in the years since then, it's obviously exploded and there's heaps more athletes, um, a lot of them in the States, on, on Mayhem Athlete. And uh, it's a bad year for, um, for, it was a painful year to be locked down last year because on Instagram, what I'm seeing is they actually done a bunch of um, camps over the last couple of years. Um, they always, always have to train with Rich, obviously, and Rich always gets any athletes to come and like, he'll like, you know, make us do like demos and stuff and just add to the experience. Like, so all he brings in all the guys. And um, so heaps of, of train with Riches had a bunch of different athletes and um then they had the U.S. Warrior Army Fitness Team out there, and then they've had a couple of training camps since then. I saw like Medeiros was there after the games, and um, so they've been something that Rich and the Mayhem crew have been doing a lot more as like a like a product of their program and wanting to like grow that that side of it. So this is the first games camp that I'll be going to um, since we didn't have a games last year for teams. Um, so I think it's something that will be a regular thing and, and definitely a huge value add. Um, if you're a mayhem athlete, like the chance to go out there and train with Rich and the crew, it's like it's pretty phenomenal. Where will you stay? Um, hopefully at Rich's house. <laughs> I haven't actually asked him yet, but the, it's a bit more complicated because I have to do a. Um, there has to be a seven day. I have to do a seven day quarantine when I get to the states. Um, but According weirdly, to who? That's that's a law. That's that's a law that we have in the United States. It's it's probably it's probably federal. I think it's probably like a. Um, it's like the. Department of Homelands, um, like like uh, policy for, for newcomers. But the irony is, and I was talking to one of the boys here in the gym who's, who's been in the states recently. This is this is how bureaucratic it is. I have to quarantine for seven days, but anyone else in the household doesn't. So even though I'm in, if, even if I stay at the same house, like with Rich, for example, he can still leave. He's not quarantined. So is that, what does that achieve? I don't know. Nothing. But it's but it's just but it's the rule. Whereas that's why here in Australia, you have to be, you have to go to a hotel room and you can't leave the room because originally we had two week quarantines in our home, but people were like, yep, yep, I'll quarantine. And then day two, they're at like a music festival. So yeah, that's what I would do. It. That's what I would do. I would do, <laughs> yes. I would do minute to minute to. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, people would go out, yeah, people would go on like a party on the way home from the airport. I'm like, I want to go home and have a shower. These people have COVID and they're out like, you know, hitting up like 
yeah, music festivals and stuff. But um, so yeah, the, the quarantine, but the fact is that I have to do a seven day quarantine. So I'm hoping that I can do that at Richard's house. I haven't asked him yet, but I'm hoping I can do it at his house where I can train in the barn versus in some like holiday inn where I, you know, be doing burpees next to my bed for a week, which would be kind of lame. So um, yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, it just comes down, I guess, honestly, um, space in the house. Like if Richard's got a few guys staying there already, I'll have to figure it out. I can maybe stay with Chase. Chase is in, in Knoxville, so um, a couple uh, about an hour and a half away, but Chase has got a pretty sweet home gym and I can hang out with him and just head over to, to, to Cookville when he does. So I guess there's a few they, options. Uh, they don't have anything as nice as a Holiday Inn in Cookville, by the way. <laughs> no, so, 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 so you better lower your standards a little bit. Yeah, the, the, well, the first year we went over there in 18, we were staying at like some, like I don't know what it was called, it's like just a like a dodgy motel, like from a movie. And, um, and Rich was asking us, like, yeah, like, where are you staying? And I told him, and he was like, oh, yeah, all right. And um, so, like, the next day, he, he actually organized for us to go because his house was full. He organized us to go stay with his mum. So his mum took us in because because uh, Janice was like, "There's you're not staying there, guys. That's, like, so dodgy. It's the worst part of Cookville. You guys got a kid with you. Come and stay with me. So, um, yeah, I mean, we knew nothing. We just, like, rocking up, like, oh, yeah, it's awesome. Tennessee's amazing. <laughs> I... uh. When I, the first time I went out and visited Rich, I don't remember what year it was, what, what year it was, but I stayed in this hotel. I think it was like a Hampton Inn or something. And I was, I was really into insects at the time. And they had all the, and they got great insects in Cookville. And I could just leave my hotel room and just go out to the parking lot where they had those big old floodlights that look like they're from a crime scene. And there'd be just millions of millions of bugs. I'm like, wow, what a great hotel. They provide, you know. <laughs> Ten thousand <laughs> varieties of beetles and spiders and shit, and there. Some in some of your bed too. Some some bugs in the bed too. You don't have any tattoos. I got one on my left bicep. And you used to have piercings. Yeah. Tell me about your. You had a nose ring, and you had the stuff in your ear. What was wrong with you? Were, were you were you a drug addict, and that was, and then you got off drugs, and that was your way of acting out, or like, what? Why does someone do that? It looked like you were on your way to making those big old ears because you had like little plugs in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was far more simple, which was just I was young and thought it looked cool. Um, I never had the nose. I had I had an eyebrow piercing. Oh, um, eyebrow, right? And I took that out. I, I kind of outgrew that even before I grew up because it was just annoying, and um, it just kept it would catch on a towel or whatever. So I took that out even before I didn't think it looked cool anymore. And then um, the ears, yeah, I just, I, mean, I grew up and I liked punk music and I kind of liked the punk look a little bit, but I wouldn't, you know, not full punk, but like just enough to get like a little little stretcher. But the funny thing is like my earlobes are like stuck to my head. Like I don't have proper earlobes. So doing that little stretch actually gave me an earlobe. And then uh, when I took them out, the hole like closes down, but not entirely. So now I have like, Earlobes, so it worked out. Oh, oh, so it was like some healthy body. It was functional body modification. Instead of getting plastic <laughs> yeah. surgery, you just performed oh. your own. Yeah, really, really cheap plastic surgery. No, nah, it was. Um, when you, it was just because I thought it looked cool. I was just young, and that's what I was into. When you look back at those pictures, do you think you look better now without them or with them? I think um, I look. I look so different with them in that it's hard to relate. But I think uh, I think I look better now. At this stage of life, put it that way. Like I think, as a, as a dad of three kids, it's definitely a better look to to not have an eyebrow piercing and some you know holes in your ears. 
Yeah, yeah. maybe I'm just getting old. I don't think I was ever into that. But you have a you have a, almost a James Bond look to you. You have a good square jaw. You look kind of ageless. And when I saw that, I'm like, wow, I'm so, like, because when I see that stuff, but then I didn't see the tattoos. I'm like, if he was a drug recovering drug addict, he'd probably be covered in tattoos also. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, that's a, that's a pretty accurate stereotype most of the time, I think. Yeah, stereotypes are great. Um, I what's mean, the stereotypes what's the, start somewhere, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, tell what's the tattoo on your bicep? It's the uh, the Christian fish, the Jesus fish. And tell me, what is um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? I, I wish I was. Maybe I'll be a Christian when I grow up. I, the best part about being a Christian is, is that you get to say, like, you get to say cool numbers like that. Like guys in the military yeah. get to do that. Bravo, Charlie! And then, yeah. and then Christian guys get to be like twenty nine eleven. That's my jam. So tell me, what is, <laughs> what is, Jer, what is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? Um, I actually have it. I can get it. I can get you word for word. Don't screw it up. Um, I have it on my desktop here. It's um, it's from you know the the chapter of the Bible, Jeremiah, the verse twenty nine, um, line eleven, which is for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And and why does that res? Well, how old were you when you came across that? Probably it was pretty recent. It's probably like three or four years ago. And, and why does that resonate with you? It's one of the uh, it's one of the more common um, Bible quotes. Like um, it's like you know, like the John for he loved the world so much that he died for it. Um, you know, there's there's the couple of Corinthians ones that people always use in their wedding vows about um, you know the strongest of these love. It's one of the ones that like it's it's pretty well known and uh, for good reason. It's a, it's a you know. There's a context every verse. Like there's there's a there's something happening in that verse that that, the, that Jeremiah is trying to tell the people about. But as a just a general platitude, it's it's a pretty good. It might be like it's a pretty good summary of the entire New Testament, which is um, you know, essentially the 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 ethos is that what we what we go through in life, like our normal this life on Earth, is kind of a, a, an enormous sum consequence of all the decisions that, that we make as free thinking beings. And so yes, good things happen, but also pretty bad stuff happens too. And Christianity never said it would it would be saved from from the bad things in life. It's it's just a promise that this is a this is a temporary thing and then there's there's a much greater plan for us afterwards, uh, i.e. the afterlife. So um, one of the phrases, one one of the, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament was about stop loving the world so much. Like, don't worry if, if you if you get a good shake at this life, because this is just just one part of it. And there's so much there's so much more good to come that all the bad will never compare. And so that's kind of you know it can that can apply to many levels as far as just a nice little prayer to say before you have to go do something you're nervous about that hey it's going to work out the way it's supposed to, up to you know existentialism of like what's it all about. Hey, don't worry. There's a plan. There's a future. Like, in essence, it's just that that verse is just saying God doesn't ever do anything to you that will harm you. And you know, people like to throw out the the phrase or like, oh, it's God testing you or whatever. Like, there's no evidence in the Bible that God makes bad things happen to you to see how you react. It's the fact that bad stuff happens because that's the nature of this world. Um, and if God was to stop everything bad from happening, well, then we wouldn't have any free will, would we? Like you can't you can't take away the bad without taking away what what causes most of the bad. 
So it's saying that, you know, life is what it is, but there is a plan, there is hope, there is a future. Um, and that's kind of the, the entire promise of the New Testament. Well said. Um, ladies and gentlemen, did you hear what Roy said? You are free thinking. You can free think. I, 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 I honestly believe that more than half the planet doesn't even know what thinking is. I, think I, do, I, 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 I remember when I learned how to think. I wasn't until, I wasn't until my 20s, and I was like, oh, shit, this is thinking? Yeah. There's a I huge, was just a fly. I, I just huge, reacted um, to shit. Yeah, I think there's a huge following or like um, whether people even like know how to verbalize it. There's a, there's a great attraction to the idea of determinism, like that you're just a passenger on the ride and even the things you think you're choosing are only because of all the things that have happened and blah, blah, blah. And, and there, is, there is some comfort in that, right? And it's, and it's a lot of, uh, it leads to a, to a victim mentality of like, it's not my fault, so therefore I can't be blamed. But, um, you know, any, anyone great in history, to, as far as I know, you know, call me out of my ignorance, but every, every great person in history, depends on how you define great, believed in free thinking. Right, that that, you, that we are free beings that they get to decide our fate and can turn anything around if we want to, and um, and that is literally what is stated in the Bible, and that's what I believe that that God made us as free thinking individuals. Free will is the most sacred gift He gave us, and so while there is a comfort in determinism, I think free will is is harder to accept, but it's it's where you need to go if you want to make your life better in any way. Which is easy to say from someone who's who's not been through a lot of hardship. Like I know that's the problem, right? It's the thoughts and prayers argument. Like no one who's going through bad times wants to hear that that oh my thoughts and prayers are with you, because it doesn't that doesn't feel good when you're in the in the moment. But um, you know, you, you, there's only really one way out of out of a bad situation, which is you know taking responsibility, taking free will. Like you can't just wait to be saved by someone. It might happen. But that's a very vulnerable place to be in, right? You should you should believe in free will. In defense of what you're saying, if you don't practice it in good times, it won't be there for you in bad times. By that I mean if you if you wait until shit hits the fan and your wife gets dies in a car accident to start meditating, you started too long. You should practice in good times and cultivate the skill of mindfulness. So that when the shit does hit the fan, you have that tool. It's like CrossFit. You're, you're, you're practice, you train in the garage. So when you go to the games and they do put in handstand pushups, you're prepared. So, um, it's a great saying, right? There's there's no atheist in the foxhole. Like when, when faced with your, with your end, everyone wants there to be something more. But when the good times are rolling, no one no one cares or thinks about that stuff, right? But that's when you should care and think about it the most. Right. Right. Do you think you would ever change from something else? Do you think you would ever switch? Do you ever see people switch? Um, you do see people switch, but I, I can't see myself there. I like it easy to say, I guess. Like That's your jam, 2911. Yeah, yeah. I think that... that to me, that has, that evokes the most. Like, um, it, it then links me and reminds me and and brings me back to the to the rest of, of all other scriptures and, and um and the rest of the Bible that that as a Christian you're supposed to study and, and take in. But that's kind of like my hook. That like really 
gives me that grand like feeling of what it's all about and then you can go deep from there based on what I need, what I what I want to to get me through whatever situation. Is everyone at um Rich's gym a Christian? I'm not sure. Are there any everyone. heathens I, there? I think it's mostly I think it's I can't think of anyone who isn't. They're pretty yeah, they're pretty they're they're a pretty good group. Like they're all on the same page, I think. Yeah, I can't think of any either. Royce, have you started doing any of the mayhem mindset stuff? I haven't, no. That's a, he's got a guy over there, Sevan, named I think Jim Hensel, that he's been working with on the mindset stuff. And a lot, I know a lot of uh, people in that in that group have have slow, I think, more slowly started to build some of that into their life. And um, I don't know if it, how it coincides with the training necessarily, but I was just wondering if you knew anything about it. It's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work probably, especially for athletes who, who are so used to getting all of their wins and all of their progress from moving. And I'm guessing, I don't know what the practice is that, that, that Jim Hensel teaches, but I bet you that there's a lot of stillness in it. I bet you there's yeah. a lot of not moving in it. I would say it's a pretty safe assumption. Yeah. My, um, my wife has taken these courses. They're called Vipassana courses. They're non-denominational uh, retreats. You go away for 10 days. Uh, they, have, they have longer courses, 30 days after you accomplish the first two, 10 days. Um, they don't accept any money from anyone. Um, you don't pay for it. You just sign up and go. And then they send you home with an envelope and you can send money when you get home. And that's to keep them clean and pure. And it's basically no eye contact and no talking for 10 days with other people. And, um, the experiences she has are profound. And when she returns from them, she's noticeably different. And meditation basically is a, it's, it's being, it's, I don't think a lot of people know what it is, but it's basically cultivating awareness and it is, it is the, it is the CrossFit of mental development. It is fucking hard. (laughs) And, yeah. uh, and it ter- and it terrifies people. If you say, oh, you're going to go away for 10 days and you're not going to get to make eye contact or talk with someone for 10 days. I mean, there's other people there, but you're not supposed to make eye contact with anyone or talk to someone. And man, and it's a lot of sitting and just watching, you know, watching yourself, cultivating uh, mindfulness. And it's cool that it's non-denominational. You know, it's ever any- anyone can go who wants to do that. Yeah. I'll sign you up. <laughs> Your wife would kill though. your wife. Your wife would kill you if you did that. I was just thinking about how much time you must spend away from home for, for the games, and I and and you know I don't want to I don't want to harp on it because I know it probably weighs on you and your wife enough. But then the fact that you have to come back and do a quarantine, and she knows, yeah. oh, he's just right over there when he could be over here changing diapers, is just yeah. uh Yeah, that two weeks is, will be the hardest for sure. They should give you pass. They should test like they should test you. You're you're thirty. You're thirty years old. I wonder if anyone thirty years old with your fitness. Well, I already know the answer to this. Has died in Australia? No. I think. Uh, well, how I about think how about in the world? No. There should be yeah. some sort of pass. And I, and I it agree. who cares how rich you are? Yeah. Hey, this guy yeah. came in. His his blood sugar levels are not non-existent. He burns everything off, and he's thirty years old. Give him a pass. He gets to go home and quarantine at home. Ah, you're a hundred. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to make a list of things if you are where you do have to stay in the hotel. 
yeah, yeah. Royce, what's it um, what's it like traveling yeah, I mean, between what's it like traveling between Australia and New Zealand right now? Um, so we have we have a bubble between Australia and New Zealand, so it's like back to where it used to be, which is um, free travel. Like the Australian and New Zealand like passports pretty much act like pseudo citizenship. Like a, like a New Zealander can come to Australia and like get a job and start working and like pay tax and like just basically live here as long as they want, as long as they can afford it. Um, and that's how it used to always be, and that's um, how it is now again with this with this bubble. So it's like free travel. It, it was kind of sketchy when COVID started because there's a bunch of Kiwis here who didn't have citizenship because you didn't need it, except when they rolled out like all the government assistance for COVID, like helping all like you know the you know, pay the business to pay their employees to stay in business and kind of stuff. Kiwis weren't um, eligible, and it was like, well, hang on, like we've been here for ten years, we're not citizens because we didn't need to be. Well, we can't go home now. It's too late. Like the borders are all closed. And it's going to cost us money, whatever. So that was like sketched like a month or two, and they quickly like caught up and were like, "Oh, okay, all the all the New Zealanders and PRs. If you just as long as you proved you were you'd been in the country for more than three months or something, you started to get eligible." So they fixed it pretty quick. But yeah, it's basically like the, the free travel. It's it's kind of like Europe. It's like you can just kind of bounce between the two. It's pretty crazy. Do you know if you're going to compete again? Or is this your last year? Do you know like how many years you're going to do this? I don't know how many years, but it's definitely not my last year. Um, but I don't know if I'll go back individual again next year or team. But I can't. I definitely can't see myself not not having a go again next year in some capacity. Like it's just, I just enjoy it too much. Like the day and stuff. Like competition gets a bit um, not pleasant. But the um, I just enjoy the, the day in day out too much. And uh, we got some two two young guns at the, at the gym. Um, Will Carney, who's actually, um, he was, he's like the, uh, the Jay Crouch of Tear and Shane. So he was, um, started at bed at Tear and Shane's gym up in Gladstone when he was like 15. And, um, yeah, he's like Shane's protege, like the whole weekend at the pro because he was, he competed, he came top 10. Um, like Shane was on the, you know, having a call every night, like, how you going? Like talking through strategy, like Tia tests all the workouts for us. And she's like telling Will his, her times, which of course she beat all of us at everything all the time. And um, <laughs> her times are not a good, not a good, um, not even for male athletes or a good guide for the workout. It'll just make you depressed. Um, that Amanda 21 did the muscle up and the snatch. Tia did the 21 muscle ups unbroken. Like there were, there were, there were some of the men couldn't do that. Or if they did do it, they fell to pieces on the snatches. Tia went unbroken on the, on the muscle ups. And I think she was, I think she was the only girl to do 20 unbroken in 2018 also to start the 30 muscle ups for time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was, uh, Christy Amroy got her by like a second or two. Like, it was so tight. But but um, Tia was like four reps ahead of her at the time. twenty mark because she, she yeah. Just went that we huge we set. did thirty reps for time um, in the in Rich's barn before the games, and uh, me and James. So I went I went twenty unbroken, then then eight, then two, and James went fifteen, ten, five, and then Tia went twenty and ten and beat both of us. <laughs> I was like, this is not good for my confidence right now. This is not, not doing my ego any any favors, doing anything. Did you here. did you say Justin Medeiros was was out at Cookville? Did you say that? Yeah, it's on there. It's on their YouTube. He went he went for one of like the camps they did like right at the start of this year. I don't know the exact date, but we did a bit of a camp, and um, yeah, Justin was there. Is he following the mayhem training? I don't believe so. I think in the in the video, Rich says like, "Yeah, we got we got a bunch of our athletes, plus just a few people who we just wanted to like, you know, give a good time to, and just like, it's a bit of a reward for Justin. Like, hey, 
this new guy's doing well. And I think it's just rich giving back, I think, to like the next generation. <laughs> just invited to come along and have a good time. When you when you train with him, what do you see? Do you see is it like everyone says? I mean, people just say he's just all go. Did you did you get to witness that, or is he more of a a coach role when you're there? No, he's he's more more of a mentor. I would say like he he's kind of like seasoned advice, but like you're not going to see like he's not like kneeling next to you like telling you to like get your elbows higher on the snatch or like you know fixing your back position or whatever. He I think he like just trusts and respects the athletes enough that they know what they're doing, and um, he'll give advice if someone's like battling with something. But it's more of a mentor role, and it's um. And it's a lead by example, which is what everyone says, but that, that's true. Like you just, you kind of can't argue with, with like, if he writes up a workout, that's crazy. You can't really say, oh, that's, that's silly when he'll, he goes and does it. So it's like, well, you know, he's doing it. And obviously he's pretty damn fit, but so are we, right? So we should be able to do it too. And so you just kind of like just get on with it and don't make it, you know, a bit of complaining. There's a good, good amount of complaining goes on, but um, it's, it's also just his willingness to suffer. He always jokes about how he like, tries to not hurt in a workout like he, you know i remember when they asked him one time when he won that the, the liftoff the first ever rogue liftoff and they said why did you do singles on that barbell and he goes i don't want to hurt that much but he actually it's his willingness to hurt like this when they do those repeat round workouts where it's like 10 sets and he's just like the first set you're like i think this is a mistake like i don't know i don't think we should do eight of these like we, we've screwed up here but he just like is willing to hurt himself for eight more sets whereas i'm like Maybe four is good. Maybe I should just stop at four. This sucks. I don't want to do this. So yeah, he's just got that good mindset. He's just a he's just tough as nails. How'd you like competing on a team with him? Uh, awesome. Like it, it was. It was kind of a, a weird sense of calm, right? Because you, it's a bit of like um, that larger than life. Like when you're on the team with Rich, you just like we're going to win, right? Like it's, it's just a known fact. And so that's how you approach the workout. Like we're going to win. And so you just push so much harder, you know. It's the magic of, of the mayhem freedom, I think, is that while Rich can't win the whole workout by himself because there's you know, four people, he really does. You really do feel like we're definitely going to win because we got Rich. And so everyone brings the, like their next level, like brings their A game because you just full-heartedly believe you're going to win. God, I love that. So the people who've been on the team with him are really fortunate. I think so. Yeah, I think it's it's an amazing experience to be to you know like there, there are a few, like, you know like it's been said before there are a few athletes in in the history of different sports that um, change the game and are like you know it's powerful to be around those people and, and with Rich it's not the physical ability it's it is his mentality right it's the fact that he um, the first person to win four like he just has the ability to kind of like walk through the fire I guess and not. And if he does doubt himself, he's good at pushing that doubt away. And so that is inspiring, like from that perspective, from the mental perspective. Yeah, it's great that he's like really fit and it's cool being on his team because he's going he's gonna to like smash the workout really fast. But it's more just like when you're around him, you, you don't doubt yourself as much either because, well, we're rich. We're going to, of course, we're going to smash it. He's just so nonchalant. Like he's just so down to earth and cool, calm, collected that you just can't help but be at ease. So his confidence is contagious. It's Literally. not. Yeah, that's probably yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah, I can totally, I can totally see that. He seems in total control, and so you're at calm, and so you, and then you obviously want to live up to his expectations. You're on his team, and it's an honor, and you don't want to be seen as the weak link on the team either. Exactly. Yeah, 
So there's a little bit of pressure, but outweighed by the by the confidence, I think. Yeah, healthy pressure. Um, I thought it was yeah. a two man. It, it was a four man team you were on with him. Uh, at the pro it was the two man two man team. Okay, okay. That's what I, in in the picture. That's what I thought I saw. Yeah. Oh, I thought I was going to get in trouble. I thought you were going to laugh at me for saying that, Brian. I thought I was going to get in trouble for saying that. I'm, no, I'm we impressed just, we're with your, the, the other, other boys. <laughs> this guy, th- first of all, he doesn't have a big Instagram account. He, I mean, he's got a lot of followers, but he doesn't got a lot of posts. So he's easy to do research on. And second of all, but the, the hard part about Royce is it, 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 there's not a lot of history. Basically, every picture is him working out or, or his <laughs> wife or his kids. But there's no... There's no, like, you don't get to see him when he's, like, 16, like, smoking a cigarette. You know what I mean? Like, he, the, yeah, the yeah, earrings yeah. was the best I could dig out. <laughs> Brian, is there anything burning you want to ask him before we let this guy go get a workout in? No, I, th- I think we – I mean, I could – like I said, I could talk – probably talk to him for another hour, but I think that we've done a, a good job. Um, I was, I've been impressed with your articulation, especially of the, on the spiritual side of things. Yeah, you're smart well, as shit. You. What did you study in school? Uh, ironically, I just did a year, a year of what we call it university. I just did a year of university and decided that I, I was sick of studying, uh, like all through school just to go straight back to uni. So I dropped out and went and got my, uh, personal training certs, did that for a couple of years and then found CrossFit, never looked back. So, uh, the answer is nothing. <laughs> wow. Are you, what do your parents do? Uh, both, they're both nurses. Ah. Uh. So you come from some smart people. Do you have? Do you have? Do you have two more minutes? I want to ask Brian one more question. Um, yeah, probably exactly two minutes. So that, there's actually a class I'm supposed to be coaching, but I'll, I'll give you. Two okay, more here we go, Brian. When we see someone like Royce, who's six one, three hundred and fifty pounds, and we have Jason Hopper coming out of, I don't even remember where he won, who's six one, three hundred fifty pounds. Do you think that? The, does that make you think that the programming at semifinals is doing a disservice at finding the good athletes and that they're going to get smoked at the fucking games because the average height is 5'10", 185? Like, the, does, does anything, or are the athletes evolving? Do you see anything that's like, oh shit, I, like this programming, they're not getting the right dude for the games? I don't feel that way about either Royce or Jason. I feel like they'll be fine at the games. Ooh. Awesome. All right. Whew, you dodged a bullet, Royce. <laughs> And then we'll go offline and you'll tell the truth. No, no, Brian's good as gold. He's he's a sharp he's a sharp axe. He'll use it if he has to. All right. Thanks, brother. Thank you guys. Thanks so much. Yep.